And we are back riding the pine. Two episodes, two nights. We're on a roll right now. Uh, going, we'll keep it going. You know, Al, we come out 24 hours, you know, removed from now the Eastern of the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm still in shock. I'm still in shock about what happened. I mean, j- just to put it into perspective, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, two max guys, made 18 threes for the uh, series. And Caleb Martin, Caleb Martin and Tyler Hero made 22 threes for the series, which was really impressive since Tyler Hero didn't play any of the games. So Caleb Martin had 22 in the series. 22 threes for the series for Caleb Martin. Wow. So he's averaging he was averaging three to four a game, you know? Yeah. So which is big for him. What a just what a series, and it leads us to what a finals. But tonight on the show, we are previewing those exact NBA finals. We will talk about the matchups, the X factors, our predictions, and just how the hell the Heat even got here in the first place. Um, our we'll coaching switch. and good coaching and good role players, Rob. Absolutely, absolutely. We'll switch gears a little bit. We'll do our top 25 preview of the week tonight, the Florida State Seminoles. Oh, oh. Okay. Going and, down Mike Norvell, and, and Mike Norvell, and then we'll end it with our top 10 of the night, college football atmospheres, which I think Al and I have probably been to like five of these on this list. But to start we'll tonight. College football stadiums. That'll be, that'll be a good segment. We'll enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, to start the night, though, I think we got to talk about one player. It's not Jimmy Butler. It's not Caleb Martin. It's not Jamal Murray. It's not Michael Porter Jr. It's currently the best player in the world. It's Nikola Jokic. Folks, if you hadn't seen this kid play, watch Thursday night. Watch every game of this finals because you're going to watch a guy that is something that you've never seen before. The things he does on a basketball court at his height is something that I don't think – I mean, we haven't seen definitely since probably Bird. I would say Bird I – and mean, Kevin Durant obviously is, is so much slim, so much more slim than Jokic. I mean, Bird probably would be the best. I mean, he's Carl Malone with the ability to bring the ball down the court and shoot threes. And, I mean, you could say maybe Dirk. But Dirk didn't play point as much as Jokic did. I just don't know that we've ever seen a player of his skill set at right. his in his size. And I think Jokic can impact the game in more ways than Dirk, just defensively, rebounding ability, things like that. Um, and Dirk, Dirk had you know Dirk. They do play very similar, just with their back to the basket type game, uh, little fadeaways, but and then the catch and shoot threes off the pick and rolls. But uh, I would say defensively, Jokic probably has the upper hand, don't you think, on Dirk? Yeah, I absolutely think defensively. And then Jokic's ability – I mean, he's in, in reality, he's their point guard. I mean, when he gets the ball, he runs the break. And you just – you didn't see Dirk doing that as much. I mean, you'd see it here and there. But, I mean, Jokic is their primary ball handler if it's a miss. That's right. Right. And I think, well, I think that's what makes, we talked about this before. Um, we were watching them play the Lakers. I think game one, uh, 
one podcast, and um, I think we talked about just how Denver, they're a unique team because you have multiple guys that can handle the ball and initiate offense. Yeah, and it's just – it's amazing to really watch him because, like I said, I don't think it's anything we've ever seen before. Um, he's just – he's so different and so skilled – and he doesn't try to – there's the other thing. He doesn't try to do anything that he knows he can't do, but there's not much he can't do. Right. I mean, he can step back and shoot a three if you need him to. Right. When I think what makes this matchup unique is just top to bottom, you know, the five guys that are playing the most minutes. Obviously, Butler, he's going to get his. He's probably – then maybe outshining the other guys for the Heat up until Caleb Martin really started to score and uh, kind of be maybe that second guy. He was probably the number one guy, really, when it comes to who is going to who is going to make the tough shots for you in that game seven. But just kind of the direction I'm going is the balance. If you look at the score sheet, you just look at the balance between every player they have. You know, multiple guys stepping up. So Denver was this game, game four in uh, L.A. where they came back. Rob, just listen to their points. Aaron Gordon, 22. Michael Porter Jr., 15. Jokic, 30. Murray, 25. Caldwell Pope, 13. I'm just saying Denver and uh, Miami have that comparison where they're going to get balance from other other role players as well. Yeah, and so now I guess we'll segue kind of into the NBA Finals. And this segment brought to you by Monster Energy because, hey, we all needed it this morning after a long weekend, or at least I did. That's but, twice that we've had Monster on the show, Rob. Oh, I think it's like three or four times. But <laughs> you still didn't send me my case of free Monster, so I'm still waiting on that, guys. I know it just got lost in the mail, but let's, let's go ahead and send another one. There's a high demand in Dallas, Rob. Apparently so. I, I thought everybody drank Celsius. So I guess I was wrong. Uh, but, Al, I, I, this is probably going to be one of the more interesting NBA Finals stylistically that we've seen in a very long time. And as, as, as I started to dive into Denver's offense late last night and then this afternoon, you know, one thing I noticed is their ability to kind of play old – they've meshed old school and new school so well together because you, right. you watch – they obviously are elite on the break. That's what they would, I would guess, rather do. But, I mean, Jokic is out there leading the break, and it is – it's so many ways that I, you. it's not one of those cut-the-head-off-the-snake things because, I mean, for example, I know on some of the stuff I've watched, he's always has two guys run the floor with him. He's got generally Gordon trailing. I mean, if you, if you take the shooters, he's going to hit Gordon on the trail, and Gordon's going to put a highlight reel on you. If you take Gordon, he can either A, go to Gordon, Gordon kicks to KCP or Porter, or B, Porter may cut from the other side, or C, he can just go to KCP on a pass. Right. We we I remember, too, we talked about with, with Jokic, when you have a big guy of his caliber, his, his size, a lot of actions in the NBA, a lot of pin down. So the guy on the wing, down screening for the guy in the corner. And then a lot of just simple, just dribble handoff, pick and roll type action. I think with with Jokic initiating that, you have a big guy that can screen, a big body that can get guys open. 
And that puts defenders in a tough situation because they got to make a choice. Do we cover the shooter or do we kind of sag off and try to respect Jokic rolling? And that just puts you in a predicament when you have guys like Murray and guys like Caldwell Pope and even guys like Michael Porter coming off making plays. Well, and another thing, and we go back to kind of the old school, you know, the new school NBA way of running five out is it's basically five out ISO. It's, you know, maybe somebody's cutting, maybe somebody sets a ball screen or something, but go watch Denver. I mean, they're setting off ball screens. They're cutting. They're setting flare screens. They're hitting you with back cuts. It is so many different ways that they initiate their offense and, and every one of them is extremely rare in today's NBA. Right. Jokic getting the ball around the elbow makes him a threat because that's when he's really, really tough as a passer. All they, all they really need to do is set one back screen and someone's going to be open. And his ability to not even face the basket and make those kind of no-look little bounce passes or little quick one-hand passes, like he's really – his passing ability is – that's one thing we didn't talk about early in the segment, Rob, is Jokic's passing ability. Yeah, and, it, and that's just another way that separates him from a Dirk or some or somebody of that caliber who who was that great international player or a KD who's, you know, kind of that same size or even a Giannis who's probably a little bit of that bill. Obviously, Giannis is a lot more I, – I guess he's a lot more muscle than Jokic. But Jokic's ability to pass like a point guard – I mean, really and truly, I don't think we've seen it. But, you know, you mentioned – you're talking about earlier, you, you mentioned the handoffs. And I, I've watched – a lot of the stuff you watch with Murray, the two-man game with Murray and Jokic is just – it's it's almost impossible to defend because, you know, Jokic will hit you with that handoff where Murray will turn the corner. And, you know, if the defender sags to stay with Murray, he's going to hit – He's going to hit Jokic. Jokic can then either shoot it, take take three dribbles in, floater, or hit Gordon or Porter cutting. Right. Or if the defender stays with, you know, uh, not stays, but is a little slow getting to Murray or to Jokic, Murray's just going to turn the corner and go to the goal. Right. And then that guy in the corner, if he he's got to make a choice, do I help on the roll, which is Jokic, or do I stay attached to the wing, to the corner guy? So there's just a lot of you have. I feel like with the Nuggets offense, there there is something you have to always give up. You know, you have to kind of decide. I think that's what Spolstra is going to have to decide going into this series. What are some things that I'm willing to live with? What are what are some things I'm willing to give up and be okay well, with? Well, and I think it goes back to the 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 two three zone. You know, I think we're going to see a lot of that two three zone because you can still defend that five out with with a two three zone. But it does right. take down a lot of that cutting. But at the same time, you know, you got to make a bunch of shots against this Nuggets team because if not, they're going to kill you in transition. Because right. this is where this is where I think Miami is going to have a lot of issues because I started running through it even earlier yesterday before the game was over. I was running through matchups in my head. And so, you know, the thought process behind this is, you go two, you go one of two ways. One way is you stay with the lineup you got, which is Vincent Butler, Struce, Martin, Adebayo. You play kind of small. Well, if you do that, you're going to put Vincent is going to have to guard Murray. Right. Then Butler's going to have to guard KCP. 
So you're going to either have to – because and a lot of people would say, well, you want Butler on uh, Gordon or Porter. I don't because they're, they're the two guys who are going to drive with the goals. They can put right. Butler in foul trouble. So you got to put Kevin Martin and Max Struess on those two guys, and they they're going to have height advantages on both those guys. So it's funny you bring up uh, Aaron Gordon a lot. I think he's an X-factor player because I think he's the mismatch. I think he's kind of the mismatch player that I don't know that Heat have that player that can match up with him. Well, and see, that's the other way I go on this. Do they go back to the old lineup that they used the first two series, which was Vincent Butler, Struess, Love, Adebayo, although I think Mer- Martin would probably put, put in there for Struess. You'd bring Struess off the bench. But, right. I mean, Kevin Love looked unplayable in the last series. Excuse me. I think uh, I think Love, that's going to be interesting maybe to play him to see can he get you some rebounds can he can he give you you know 15 to 18 minutes and maybe maybe a couple threes here and there you know uh, cuz that's actually a good an interesting point you bring up there's at least some physicality and some height that you have available on your bench well and it takes out the ability of of Denver to just put Martin and Struess in pick and rolls where they either they have to take Jokic Right. And, and I think I think Kevin Love and, and he's I, I think he's a little more playable in this series. I don't think he's as unplayable in this series because the Nuggets don't do as much of the just jack threes and try to run you out of the gym stuff. They'll get out in transition, but they'll also they can slow it down and play possession by possession if they need to. Right. I see this. I see this series being kind of a probably 80s, 90s type scores. I just I have a feeling it's going to stay in that kind of in that range, um, you know, scoring wise. I think one thing that is going to I think one thing that the Heat can utilize is that two, three zone. But one thing, if I'm a Heat coach, I'm I'm worried about the rebounding. You know, I'm worried about Aaron Gordon on the boards. I'm worried about Jokic on the boards. I'm worried about. Michael Porter Jr. on the board. So those are going to be those are going to be some tough guys to really rebound against. Well, and Michael Porter Jr. killed the Lakers last series on the board. I think he averaged almost eight and a half boards for the series. So, you know, you go to that zone and I mean, you're just you're really giving up a lot there or the ability to give up a lot of offensive rebounds right there. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I think just in game four, you're right, Rob. Just in game four, Porter had a double double. He had he had uh, a couple offensive rebounds and ended up with ten uh, ten rebounds for the game. So that's but, actually a good point. But I, I do believe that the Heat are going to stay. I think they're going to make Denver shoot them out of that zone or rebound them out of that zone earlier because I don't think they can just play man. Because look, Jokic is so good at that shot fake and get by that I think he can get Bam in foul trouble really easily. And if that happens, the Heat are in a world of trouble at that point because then it's Cody Zeller. Yeah. What's going to be real interesting is the Heat attacking the Nuggets with their five outs. And I think they're going to try to bring – they're going to try to bring Jokic into a lot of, you know, high pick and rolls, get him away from the basket. Uh Try to find. I mean, they're gonna. They run a lot of horn stuff to try to, you know, find the switches. And then, really, Butler. That's who they they run it with. They're trying to find Butler on a switch and then go attack. So, 
it'll be interesting just to see, you know, the matchups and the back and forth we have between Malone and Spolstra. Well, I think one thing that I noticed last night in game six, a little bit of what the Heat were doing was you're right, they were running some stuff through Butler, but they were also getting downhill on pick and rolls with Gabe Vincent and Kevin Martin and trying to find the kick to shooters, whether it be Struess or Butler or Vincent or uh, Duncan Robinson off the bench. And right. so I think that's going to be a big thing because if you can get you know Jokic out there, you've at least got – somebody's got to come down and you have an opportunity to have a shooter open in the corner. Yeah. So it's going to be it's the chess match between those two. It's going to be interesting. And uh, I think that adds I think that adds to the series. I think Mike Malone, Spolstra, they're going to I think that's going to be a, a heck of a matchup for sure. Well, I think if you got to give a coaching advantage, I would think you have to give it to Eric Spolstra in this situation. This now will be his sixth finals appearance. He's won two of these things. The first finals appearance for uh, Mike Malone. And look, the Heat have finals experience. Kevin Love has finals experience. People forget about that. He's been in four finals. Um, you know, they have the experience, although it was in the bubble, they do have the experience of playing in the finals. Right. So I think if you have to give a coaching advantage right now, it may go to Eric Spolstra. I think yeah. talent advantage-wise does go to Denver because, I mean, right now your second-best player if you're the Miami Heat is a guy who was undrafted. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I I would say so on Spolstra having the upper hand, and I think I think just his game plan coming in that game seven was was spot on. You know, I think I think that was just a well coached game. Uh, the Heat were ready to play. They were focused. They were they were bought in, ready to ready to execute what their game plan was. And I think their game plan was kind of slowing the game down, uh, you know, making it a slower game, taking the, you know, playing that zone, taking, taking the Celtics, forcing the Celtics to, to make threes against them because they struggled even in game six. And ultimately that paid off. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about X factors and, and you brought up your first one is, is Aaron Gordon. I I would probably go – you know, I think my X factor is Michael Porter Jr. for the Nuggets. I think what he can do offensively and defensively, stretching the floor, and obviously I think his defense has gotten light years better this year since he's kind of understood his role. But I really think he is going to cause Miami a lot of matchup problems. Yeah, I agree. He's a tough matchup because his height, his height and just his length. He's one of those players that the Heat don't have. You know, they don't have – the Heat don't have that length. He's he's pretty, he's bigger than – don't you – is he taller than Bam? Is he even an inch or maybe two taller than Bam Adebayo? How tall is Bam? Because I'm not – Bam is about 6'9". Okay, yeah, so quarter 6'10". Yeah, so he's just an interesting – he's an interesting player to have just that much size and skill level that you have to deal with for the – for the heat. Yeah. But I, I would say my other X factor for, or my first X factor for the heat is the ultimate X factor. It's Tyler hero. Tyler hero. I mean, Ed, the word is he'll be back game three. So really? if, you're, if you're the Miami heat, can you split these two in Denver 
and then get back to Miami for, you know, games three and four. And, you know, could Tyler Hero, if, if you think he can give you 15 minutes and eight to 10 points, I mean, that could be the difference in a couple of these games. So if I think he can give me that, I, I'm pretty confident if I can get one in Denver. Yeah, I think that's a good point because I think I think the Heat have got to space the floor. I think the Heat are going to have to use their speed and their strength to to really, you know, score against the Nuggets. And I think they're going to have to make some – they're going to have to shoot 40 to 45% from the three-point line to be in some of these games. They're going to have to make some shots. They're going to have to make some deep shots to, to, be, in, to be in this series for sure. Well, and another reason they're going to have to make shots is something we talked about earlier. It's that they got to slow down. They can't let the Nuggets just get in transition the entire game. Right. So, you know, I think that's – I think, but I really – I think Tyler Hero coming back could be a huge X factor for this the Heat team. Last thing, kind of talking about even matchups um, and kind of X factors on kind of how this sh- series could shift either way. Do you think the Heat have a better bench than the Nuggets? I think they have a deeper bench. I don't know that it's better, but, I mean, really and truly, Denver plays six. They, right. Brown is the really the only guy. I think they bring in another guy for a couple of minutes here and there, but, right. you know, outside of that, nobody really, because all their starters play almost 40 minutes. Yeah, so I think um, Jeff Green. Yeah, Jeff oh, Green. gosh, Jeff Green. I forget about him being on that team, but I I think I think that's one thing that the Heat do have over the over the Nuggets is just a deeper bench and a more productive bench. So, and you got guys that can all get hot. You know, you got guys that can make shots in that Heat team. So I think that makes them a huge threat. You know, if they get hot a couple games, they can win this series. Well, you look at their bench. You know you got Cal Lowry on the bench, a guy who's played in fi- played in the NBA Finals, has won an NBA championship. Then you have Duncan Robinson. Then you have a Kevin Love. Then you have you know even a, a probably a Tyler Hero later in this series. So I would say the deeper bench is the Miami Heat. I do, it, I will agree that it's better if they're making shots. But that's a big if, and we'll have to see how Denver defends them in this series. So right now, I would say I know what I'm getting from the Denver bench, from Brown yeah. and Jeff Green. I would say they're the better bench, although I think the Heat are the deeper bench. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to this series. I think it's a great matchup. Uh, two two young, you know, young coaches that have kind of taken two teams that have not been maybe the most well-respected and, uh, you know, two teams that I've had to really build over the past five or six years. I think it's cool to see just where they are into their process to be able to play in the finals. Well, and they've been built so differently. I mean, you look at the Nuggets, they're Jokic, who's a second-round pick, but Murray is a lottery pick. Uh, right. Porter was a lottery pick. And then Aaron Gordon was a lottery pick, but not for this team. They've kind of, I think, taken guys who maybe didn't fit the right spot on their former team, and they've been great on this team, whereas Miami has found guys who were undrafted, underrated, and they've kind of built them through their system. 
Yep. And the Nuggets had to trust that Murray was going to get healthy and uh, Michael Porter. You know, those were two, two, you know, potential that those could go either way. Uh, Michael Porter dealing with the back in college, Jamal Murray dealing with the, the ACL, right? Um, yeah. From the bubble, right? Yeah. So, so that was, um, those were two guys that they needed, you know, to get back healthy. And I like, you know, there's nothing better than, you know, seeing guys who have been injured get healthy and be able to come back and play on the biggest stage for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. It, so, you know, do you think it's going to come down? Like, I guess what would be your key to if Miami is going to win this series, what would you say they have to do? What are the, the two to three things they have to do? I think they got to make 15 to 18 threes a game. I think you got to – so I think you got to make 15 to 18. Um, I think you got to – you've got to – you got to pick one guy you're going to stop. Are we going to stop Murray or are we going to stop Jokic? I think – I think uh, that's a tough one. I think Murray is the guy you need to control because – I think you just got to live with Jokic scoring over you. You know what I mean? I think you got to, you know, try to play him as physical as you can and make him just score two pointers over you. But when Murray starts hitting the threes, those are what's hard to get back from. So I would say, I would say the 15 to 18 threes and trying your best to get Jamal Murray just out of rhythm when it comes to, you know, pick and roll game. And his offensive ability. And I think you gotta, you know, find the find the switches and attack him when he's on defense. So get I, him I probably, tired. Get him tired defensively to try to disrupt his offensive capabilities. Yeah, I don't know that I'd say they gotta make 15 to 18. I would say probably 10 to 13, 11 to 14 range. But I do agree with you on they've got to find somebody out of that big two they're gonna they're gonna shut down and look they're not shutting down Jokic you're just not going to do it you're you're not he's going to get his so I do agree with you that if you got to pick one of them pick Murray try to shut him down try to frustrate him and look if you can get Jokic in foul trouble with Bam then obviously do it but right. it, it's gonna be hard. But that's kind of my prediction just. I think the Heat got it. They got to make shots. They got to make threes, and they've got to, you know, try to cut one head off the snake. You can't. You can't have both of them. You know, on the same page. You know, making plays. That's gonna be. That's gonna be a long series for you in that position. If you're in that. If you're put in that position. Well, I think it'd be a short series in that position, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think one thing that Miami just has to do, has to do, if nothing else, is they're going to have to have two of those Jimmy Butler, I'm one of the top five players in the world game. I think they're going to have to have two of them. I don't think, you know, last series they really only had one. I think they got to have a minimum, they got to have two this game. Yeah, that's and, a good point. And you've got to get Bam going, and Caleb Martin's got to continue to be Caleb Martin. Yep. And then you need maybe the Struss or the Duncan Robinson to hit two or three threes a game. Yeah. 
you need someone like that to kind of get hot and get the momentum of the crowd and things like that when you're playing at home. Yeah. Which is going, like, we're going two, two, one, 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 right? Yeah. It's not, it used to be two, three, two, yeah. but they went back yeah. to two, two, one, one, one. The only thing that's two, three, two is the MLB, right? Nowadays, it used to be that, that, uh, two, 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 one, or two, three, two was the NBA finals too. I but remember that. Now it's not. Because remember, that's how San Antonio got up 3-2 in 2013. That's right. That's right. So, Which year, which you like better on that format? Do you like the 2-3-2 or the 2-2-1-1-1? Two, two, one, one, one? I like 2-2-1-1-1 two, two, one, 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 because I, I, I think it gives – you know, if it's 2-3-2, two, two, you basically can steal one game on the road and win the series. Yeah, I agree. I like that too. So it kind of takes the home court out of, you know, earning that home court by getting to play the two games at home first. Yeah. So I guess I'll go ahead and ask you for a prediction. What is your prediction for this series? I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to have some fun with it. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Denver in seven. All right, I'm going to say Denver in six. I say Jokic will be the MVP of the finals. Do you think it goes any differently than that? I think Jokic will be the MVP. Yeah. So we – I think that's kind of where we're – the trend that – the trend – the trend seems that Jokic is your MVP. Yeah, yeah. So we will be back Thursday – night we will review game one of the finals we'll talk about that that pod will release friday morning so kind of tra- switching gears a little bit here going to college football as we are less than 100 days away from the start of the season at this point we will now preview a team that a lot of people kind of think make a crash the playoffs this year the florida state seminoles under former memphis tiger head coach mike norvell who they all wanted to run out last year but now Everybody thinks he's one of the best coaches in the ACC now. So, I, you know. Whatever. I guess winning, winning solves everything, doesn't it, Rob? Oh, it does, 100%. So, we'll run through their schedule real quick. Uh, I think game one's the most important game of the season for them. I think it sets the tone for them. It's LSU in Orlando. I, we previewed LSU two weeks ago. And I said LSU was going to win that game. I'm sticking with it. I think LSU beats. I think LSU wins too. Um, even though they're playing in Florida, in Orlando, I think LSU gets it done. Um, I think LSU just has so much motivation in that game right now. They know that's kind of the that that's kind of their season right there. And Florida State probably could survive losing that game and still have a shot to make the playoffs. LSU offensively, I know this is a show we already did that last time, but I just think for the state, one thing they're going to have to go against with LSU, they're going to have to stop the run. They're going to have to stop the run. LSU is going to be able to kind of end crunch time of this game, be able to run the ball, and they have Jaden Daniels who can do that as well. So I think uh, Florida State starts off 0-1. Yeah, so second game, Southern Miss, that's a W. I don't think we're going to have any disagreement on that. Third game at Boston College, that's a W. I don't think we have any disagreement on that. Then game four, 
at Clemson. I'm going to pick Clemson. I go Florida State. I think this is the year Florida State beats Clemson. I think Clemson still has too many questions at quarterback. They don't have the receiving core they've had they've had the last few years. I think this is the year that Clemson gets beat and doesn't win the ACC. I think Florida State beats them. All right. Then they're off. You got them at three and one. I got them at two and two. And they're off and play Virginia Tech. I, they're going to beat Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech's not any good right now. I agree. Then, then they get Syracuse. Uh, Syracuse has improved, but I still think they win. I, I don't think they have any problem there. Then they go to Wake Forest. Wake Forest loses Sam Hartman at quarterback. I don't think they stand a prayer in that game. I got them with a W there. Yep. Then what they about, go. Did we pick the Duke game. Oh yeah, sorry, I skipped over that one. Yeah, they're going to beat Duke. <laughs> Although Duke is a better football team, don't get me wrong. I think. Right. I, who is their head coach now? Uh, it's a guy who used to be the defense coordinator at um, Texas A and M. Okay. What is that guy's name? Um, it's going to bother me now. I'm uh, Mike Elko. Okay. Yeah, Mike Elko. They're look, they're getting better, but they can't. Florida State's about two years ahead of them, if I had to guess. Yeah. So, yeah, they'll win there. They'll win at Wake Forest. Then they go to Pitt. I I, I got them winning there. I, don't I, I got them winning that too. So then then the big game. Miami at home, Endo Campbell. I I'm gonna go Miami, or I'm gonna, sorry, I'm gonna go Florida State. Yeah, I'm gonna go Florida State. As much as I like Mario Cristobal, I, I like yeah. what he's gonna build there. I still think they're a year away. I got I got Florida State. Uh, yeah, I'm going Florida State too. I don't know why I said. I meant to say I don't think Miami has. I still don't think Miami has what it takes to win on the road in a big environment against Florida State. I think Florida yeah. State has more depth, their quarterback, and I think they're going to get the win, Florida State. I got Florida State over Miami. Yep. Then we got North Alabama, which how they ended up on the schedule, I have absolutely no clue. I don't even think they're D – they're not even D1. I didn't even know they were FCS. I thought they were like D-N-A-I. But, okay, so they're going to beat them, obviously. And then I think this could be a tricky game for them at Florida. You know, I don't know where where Florida's going to be at that time. I mean, or you know, a lot of people are saying if Billy Napier doesn't have a good season, he's going to get fired. I don't necessarily believe that. I think they may give him another year. But yeah, this is a tough game. It, it's in the swamp. Those fans are going to be ready, especially if Florida State rolls in there ten and one with a chance to at the playoff and Florida can ruin that. Yeah. That's a big game. Um, I want to pick Florida really, really bad, but right now I'm picking Florida state and I got them 11 and one. I'm going to go with Florida. Okay. I'm gonna, Florida. I'm going to pick the upset. I'm going to okay. be tonight. I'm going to pick the upset. And I'm going to so say that. Gotta, state, I'm going to yeah, say that Florida state still gets to the ACC championship, but they have the two non-conference losses. And, hey, give Florida State some credit. They're playing two SEC schools in the non-conference. So you got them with three losses. You don't have them with two. Because you got them losing. Yeah, nine and three. I got them nine and three, yep. So are them and Clemson in the same division? I believe they are. They are, yeah. So right now, would you have Clemson in the ACC championship or them? Uh, I guess the more I think about it, if they're in the same division, I have to go with 
Probably, so, I just think Clemson again. You're going to say Clemson. I say they're in there. I got them 12 and 1. I think they could be the team that crashes the playoff. Okay. You think Jordan Travis is going to be that good? I think he's going to do enough. I don't know that he's that great, but I think he's going to do enough to get it done for them. I don't know much about uh, – I know the Benson kid. I know he's tough. Yeah, you know, he's from, he's from Mississippi. He went to uh, Greenville St. Joe. Really? Yeah. Really and then cool. uh, they ju- I know they just they – just, um, I know they just – uh, didn't they? Didn't they just get the number one transfer? I'm not 100 percent sure on that. I don't know what the guy's name would be. Yeah, I have to look it up. But I think they just got a big time transfer. Okay, all right. But uh, I'm happy for Norvell. I'm really root. I've been rooting for him for a lot, couple years, and it's good to see just Florida State. We need Florida State competitive and. Winning games, the, oh, the, the college football is so much better when when they're when they're you know playing at a high level. Yeah, and and I think look, I think if Cristobal can get Miami rolling, look, college football is fun when Miami and Florida State are good at the same time, and that rivalry means something. Absolutely. So you got Florida State in the playoff at twelve and one. I got them with a shot to get in the playoff. I haven't decided okay. if they're in the playoff yet, but I've got them with a shot to get there. I got them at nine and three. I guess I'm being an SEC homer tonight and saying that the two SEC schools are going to get Florida State. Yeah, I just don't know. I think my question there would be, you know, you know Georgia's in the playoff. You're going to guess that if Bama or LSU gets through their schedule without a loss, even with a loss to Georgia in the SEC championship, they're in the playoff. So then that leaves you Ohio State, Michigan – one of them's going to get in, and then I maybe that's where you put, put Florida State in there. But, you know, I think Notre Dame's the big wild card here. It's what can they do with Sam Hartman there because they're the ultimate wild card because they could crash everything. Or you have USC. Out west you have the Trojans. What could they do? So I really think this could be an interesting year for that fourth team. Well, according to two seven, uh, 247 Sports, they came out with their top nine uh, – top nine national championship contenders. And they had Florida State at nine and USC at eight. So that kind of maybe you're kind of maybe on the same page, having those two teams, having the potential to get to the national championship game. And they had Texas at seven, Clemson at six, Alabama at five, LSU at four, Ohio State at three, Michigan at two, Georgia at one. I think a pretty good list. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I think I think it's going to be an interesting college football season, just from a standpoint of. I think there's, you know, last year it really only felt like there were five, four or five good teams. I think this year there's eight or nine of those teams. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think I'm looking forward to this year. I think it's pretty open. You know, I know Georgia has the schedule that helps them. But I think it's, you know, going to be a pretty open open battle to see who can get land those four playoff spots for sure. I agree. I agree. And we're back now. Our top ten list of the night. Presented by 
Liquid death, water. <laughs> Never heard of yeah, it. I think they used to make coffee, but they make water, and it's actually pretty good. It's drinking water from the Alps. So it's probably healthier. Damn, that's fancy. Yeah. Fancy water. Yeah, you're helping the environment, and you're helping yourself. Liquid death, which is the most ironic name ever, but... <laughs> Hey, we should change our podcast to death. <laughs> We're putting all these other podcasts for, for the podcast stream, aren't we, Rob? Uh, not, not yet. Yeah. But tonight we are <laughs> going to talk about our top ten tonight as we talk about college football atmospheres. So, a few of them that got left on the cutting room floor. A, a couple that I wanted to add. One was South Carolina, Williams-Brice Stadium. Uh, Al, I think you've been there. I have not been there. You know, when, when that – when the only place I haven't Okay, that is one of the places you hadn't been? Of the, of the original 12 schools, South Carolina was the only one I hadn't been to. Yeah, so I'm, I'll actually cross that one off no. this year. So I, I'll actually have hit all 12 original. Oh, no, Florida. I hadn't been to Florida. So I'll crawl once I get Florida across. Missouri? Florida, no, I hadn't been to Missouri either. We've only played there one time. You're talking about original, you're talking about original 12. Yeah, original 12. So, you know, Al, we, we talked about – we're talking about williams Bryce Stadium. You know, I think it really – when they're good, I think it's one of the better stadiums in the country. But, as I said, it did get left on the cutting room floor. Another one that got left on the cutting room floor was Georgia. I'm sure that will irritate a lot of Georgia people because, every you know, all of them have said, oh, Sanford Stadium, such a tough place to play and all this. You've been there too, right, Rob, Sanford? I've been – yeah, I've been to Georgia. Uh, we got beat 31 to nothing. It was awful. <laughs> Um, but you know, you hear him talk about, well, if you've been to this game or this game, like it was electric, I'm like, okay, but it's not electric. Every game is the point I'm making. And right. so that's why it's not on the list. Yeah. I think, I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair, I like the list. Have, so we'll, I think it'll be good for sure. Which probably makes number 10 a bit controversial. Alabama, number 10, Bryant Denny on the list. Um, you know, I, I get that a lot of people are going to say, well, it's not very, you know, it's not very electric when, you know, they're not playing a team that's good. But the thing is, they're in the SEC West. So they're playing a lot of good teams, whereas Georgia's right. going to play the Vandys of the world and the Kentuckys and teams like that. Um, you know, I've been to Bryant-Denny three times. We have not won any of those times. And it has it, you know, it'll scar you from ever hearing Dixieland Delight again. You'll hate the song. Um, and you know, the first one of the times I went, they had it was when Scott Cochran was still their strength coach. If you remember, he's the one that yelled. Oh. And every third down, all you heard was, yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, I hate this. Get me out of this stadium. All I remember when I went, it was 2000, yeah, 2000 and 2002. No, sorry, sorry, 2002, 2004. We got beat 40, 49-7 and 
combined. So I, I haven't been back since. I haven't been back since Rob. So I thought y'all won a game at Alabama when Eli was there. Did no, we did it. Okay, we y'all beat it. him at home. We beat him at home. Yep. Okay. So. But, uh, yeah, that's a. Uh, all I remember was they had the elephant that would come on the screen, and make the noise and after before every kickoff. So you haven't I, seen it. They would, uh, they would, they would get the pop pongs and they go roll tide, roll yeah, like, so on the kickoff. You haven't even seen like, it since they uh, they expanded it. Since it's I have rope now, it's uh, ooh, it's it's bad. But I will say it's funny, you know, they won't like what we have one of the one of these schools that we have ahead of them. But I think it's I think it's right how we have it. Oh, I do too. I do too. When I was I- younger, when I was younger, of all the schools I went to, yeah, Alabama was live and it was they were, you know, there was a loud place. But I just remember going in some of these stadiums we have, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is just on a different level. Yeah. So number nine on the list is a place. I've had a lot of success in actually. Uh, a lot of teams don't, but I've had a bunch of success in it. Kyle Field, uh, Texas A&M, a hundred and something thousand people. Um, I'm actually two and one in this stadium, so I, uh, I I love this stadium. Funny enough, the only loss I had, Dak was our quarterback. I was there in '15 for the first time. We actually lost there, and I've been back in '17 and '21, and we won both times there. See, I've never been to Kyle Field yet, but um, did you see the Billion Dollar Club, Rob? Yeah, uh, trust me, it's it's very very impressive. But I guess I'm the whole saying, stadium, the whole stadium is probably the Billion Dollar Club, isn't it? Yeah, I <laughs> I'll tell you, man, a night game in that stadium when they start swaying and all that, it's one of the cooler things in college football. It really yeah, is. Got- I make fun of their fan base a good bit, but I'm gonna tell you. A night game there where they start doing all the chants and the swaying and everything. It's one of the cooler things you'll see, honestly. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's one place I need to get to. Um, and I know, you know, their fans are are ready for a winning, a winning program. <laughs> yeah. So number eight, a stadium I have not been to, but I think you have uh Zoo, Austin Stadium in Oregon. Uh, just I mean. Everybody has talked about it for years and years and years that it's probably one of the better stadiums in college football. It's one of the more raucous and loud environments in college football. You know, what what were kind of your experiences when you were there? Well, it's cool. Like, so when you're going, when you're at a game at Altson, they open up the entire, so it's like a, they have a huge fanfare and it's free for you to attend, but they literally open up the entire um, indoor practice facility and they have just games, food. It's and it's free. It's pretty cool. I just the I just remember the fans and the atmosphere just being very fan friendly. You know what I mean? Like everything they did was for the fans. And uh, as going into the stadium, super nice stadium. Uh, it was cold. It was November, so it was in the 30s. Uh, I think there was like a forecast of some snow, but uh, I remember it just kind of was a a cold rain. But, Rob, I've never seen people get so hyped for a uniform reveal hype video in my life. <laughs> they literally had a three-minute hype video for um, their uniform premiere. Which is insane. What, what were they wearing that night? They wore the all black. Okay. 
They wore the all black. They were playing. Uh, it was actually Justin Herbert's. Um, it was Justin Herbert's uh, freshman year, and he came in and started the game for them. Um, <clears throat> but I'm trying to remember every third down. What is the song they play every third down? Um, oh my gosh, I, I have to think of it. But they get height third down. They get they get height. But um, I guess long story short, great atmosphere. I think that's a place that if you're a college football fan, you need to get out there and see a game. And it's just a pretty the, the the walk, the walk to the stadium. You walk across all these pretty rivers through these nice forests. It's a cool, it's a cool atmosphere for sure. So number seven on the list, a place I don't think either of us have been, but I mean you you we've seen it so many times is Memorial Stadium in Clemson. They think it's Death Valley. The the real Death Valley is on this list somewhere else. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's still – it's a cool atmosphere. You know, obviously running down the hill to start the ball. To Their entrance is running down the hill and all the fans, you know, packed on the hill. Their student section just – I mean, it's just alive. I think the two biggest games I remember – were the Louisville game, Lamar Jackson's senior year, not the year he won the Heisman, but his senior year, the year he came back. I mean, it oh, looked yeah. absolutely incredible. And that night game, game, I remember. Was, yeah, yeah. And because remember, remember they they got stopped on the four yeah, down. Yeah. And then I I've, think the I've, other game I remember from. That, that just sticks out in my mind is the game. It was, I think it was the bring your own guts game. It was the one yeah, where that was Notre I, Dame. Yeah, I had the hurricane come in, like it's just raining all over the place. But I mean, that crowd was just hype that night. Yep, I remember that game. This was BYOG, bring your own guts. I remember that. But it's funny, Rob, when I was in the fifth grade, I actually drove through South Clemson, South Carolina. And, my dad and I drove past the stadium at night, um, saw kind of the big upper deck. and But I'll tell you one thing that's cool that they do is that I think it would be awesome to be a part of, just be a player. You know, when they go – when they uh, run down the hill, their locker room's on that other side. So they all get on charter buses, and they have to bus all the way around. And uh, the fans line the drive for that. And can you imagine – they're probably getting hype on that bus, don't you think? <laughs> I, I imagine there's some very colorful language and very colorful music being played on those buses. <laughs> That's awesome. That's what college football is about, the atmospheres and the traditions. You can't beat it. Absolutely. So number six on the list, I think both of us have also had the misfortune of going to to watch our teams lose, is <laughs> Neyland Stadium on the campus of the University of Tennessee. Um, yep. You know, it's uh, it's big. Man, it's big. It, it sits right uh, – if you've never been to Knoxville, that's probably the hilliest campus that I've ever been on. I mean, the hills on that campus, and then, you know, at the bottom of the hill, at the bottom of the hill, you got the river that they have right. the Royal Navy out there. And then you just look up and you see this just gargantuan stadium 
that – I mean, the year we played them, that was the second to last year of Jeremy Pruitt. They weren't any good. There were 95,000 people there. And then, obviously, <laughs> this year, everybody saw the Alabama game and just the – I mean, it was the one of the yeah. craziest atmospheres. Funny enough, one of my friends out here in Dallas, Holland Hawks, actually – there's a picture of him and Josh Heifel uh, when Holland's smoking the cigar. And you see the Josh Heifel, he's like hanging over trying to give the cigar to Josh Heifel as yeah. they had, uh, flooded the field. That's awesome. That's cool. So, but, uh, you, but you've been to Knoxville, correct? You've been to Tennessee? Yeah, I've, been Knoxville. I've been there four times. Okay, so you've been there a bunch. I've been there twice as a Fairweather fan. I actually got to sit in the box one game. <laughs> Nice. I got to sit in the box at the Knox. It was 2000, 2011. It was Derek Dooley. Oh, uh, Isaiah, Isaiah Crowell was playing for Georgia. Um, that was a that was a rough game because both teams were not very good. <laughs> I was watching Tennessee Georgia, and I was like, these teams they were not good at the time. Um, I but feel like Tennessee Georgia might be a little more hype this year. I got the yeah. 2023 version is going to be a lot different than the 2011 for sure. But uh, I got the kind of the full treatment, got to get on the field, got to see the locker room. The facilities out there are just unreal. Um, they they do it the right way. And it's cool, the power T, when it separates, the team runs out. They got some cool traditions for sure. Yeah, that's, ball, that's ball, one ball thing. Walk is, if you think the Grove's crazy as an Ole Miss fan for the Walk of Champions, Ball Walk is just like, I mean – it's just ridiculous the amount of people that are out there. You came and move. Yeah, but I, thought, yeah. I think where Tennessee is. I think six on this list. It's a good spot for them. Yeah, I, I agree on the power T. I, I had forgotten getting to watch that was a really cool experience. Their band, their band makes the atmosphere. You know, they they their band's so good. They they, it's awesome. And I too, I think they have their students in the right visit. Like, I think. College football, where you put your students is a huge thing. Like, and Tennessee puts them right there on that end zone and even kind of uh, even up kind of going up towards the five, the ten-yard line. They literally have that whole lower bowl. But, uh, you know, I think it's crucial where you put the students. I agree. I agree. So, moving on, number five on the list is a stadium we talked about earlier in the podcast, Dope Campbell Stadium for Florida State. You know, there have been so many good moments we've seen over the years in that stadium, you know, with the tomahawk chop going. When Jimbo really, really had him rolling there in the mid-2000s, 2010s with Jameis. And, you know, then they had Dalvin Cook. And, and I mean, really, really had that program rolling. And, I mean, that was just a fun place to see, a fun atmosphere to see. And I think Norvell's kind of bringing that back now. Yeah, for sure. There's nothing better than seeing Chief Osceola. Oh yeah, with, with coming out on his horse with that flaming spear in his right hand, like, and the whole crowd just chanting, like, and then the horse comes up on its back legs and he throws the spear down, and like, that's some big time atmosphere. Like, you cannot. That might be the coolest tradition in college football. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely up there. I, I think I think the one we're going to talk about a little bit later is probably in my mind number one. Yeah, but, uh, I, I definitely think watching 
Chief Osceola ride Renegade out there and, and put the spear on the 50-yard line, especially for a night game when you've got yeah. all the smoke and everything. It, it's a really, really cool atmosphere to see. Yeah. And so now we move on to number four. And no, we're not going to jump around, but they do they do that here. Uh, oh, the theme is that y'all – yeah, yeah, the the jump around. We, we didn't get we didn't get the rights to that song for the intro video tonight. Sorry, but uh, it's one of it's one of the coolest traditions in college football. When you see them, see the students. I, I thought one of the coolest moments of the 2021 season was everybody finally being back in the stadium and getting to see them when they hit that note for the first time to jump around. Uh, I, I thought it was one of the coolest things. You know, Fox Fox footballs carry the game. They completely – no announcers. They kept it in the game to watch that moment. Yeah, that's cool. How big – does that stadium hold right at 70 or 80, or do you think it's not I, that big? I thought it was 85 or 82 okay, so, to 85 for some reason. Yeah, so maybe maybe it's so bigger than I thought, bigger than I thought. But that tradition, you can't beat it. And I think uh, Luke Fickle, they're going to get them going for sure. Yeah, so it's eighty. It's it is eighty thousand three twenty one. So it's it's eighty thousand. Um, I agree. I think Luke Fickle's gonna have them really ready to roll, and that place is going to be jumping for night games once again. They're gonna be truly jumping around <laughs> every game. Now number three, and I think it's it is. It's probably the most – it's, without a doubt, the most underrated atmosphere in college football. I've yeah, been there. One of the loudest stadiums I've been in. Yeah, at night, if this stadium – if they're good at night, this stadium's unrivaled um, outside of number one on our list. But I, this uh, Jordan-Hare Stadium on the campus of Auburn, it is one of the most – I think it's the most underrated stadium – in America, it's got, in my opinion, the coolest tradition in America when the eagle takes off and, and flies over. And and I'll tell you, um, it's a lonely feeling when you're in that stadium at night. Auburn's good, and they they start the whoa, and that eagle's soaring around. You're just like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be a long day. And uh, you know, I've been there. I guess I've been there five or six times. I think we've won once. Yeah, we've won once. One in 2015. I'm 1-0 at Auburn, Rob. I'm 1 not. I'm 1-4. <laughs> 2003. 2003. We, uh, I was supporting Ole Miss. We went down there, me and my dad, and, and beat them. Beat them on a four down, Jason Campbell. They had a, the, uh, one of their best wideouts called it, caught the ball in the air in the back of the end zone before he fell, came down, he, he just like dropped the ball. All I saw was a bunch of student section pom-poms at Auburn just start going and the whole crowd was going nuts. And all of a sudden I thought they had lost, we had lost the game. And all of a sudden it was the, the referee doing the incomplete. I think one thing that's underrated about Jordan Hare, every fan has a pom-pom and they wave it like crazy. Do they like literally 87, 88,000 people all waving a pom pom at the same time? (laughs) Well, you know, now to at the start of the fourth quarter, they do the swag surf in the student section. It is, Uh, it gets 
really loud in there when they That's turned awesome. that open. One thing I remember from 2015 we played there is every third down, that Jumbotron is just – it's like a strobe light up there, and it's orange and white flashing all over the stadium. <laughs> I mean, if I was a quarterback, I don't know. I'd have to call a timeout like every time. <laughs> But, yeah, they have some great – I think you're right, though, about the underrated. I don't think people really understand just how how well Auburn does their game days. No. And so we'll move now to number two for the whiteout. Beaver Stadium at Penn State. Um, I mean, you're talking – some about the when we need it. <laughs> yeah. You're talking a stadium that gets loud. I oh, mean, my gosh. I, there's now the famous video, obviously, of, you know, Shea Patterson standing on the field. Michigan has to call timeout before the game even begins because they, they get a delay a game and almost get another one. And you're just <laughs> like, how loud is this stadium right now? But I remember one of And they do the video from on the field, which is so awesome. And you can literally yeah. just see the whiteout behind it and you hear Mo Bamba rocking in the background. But I think one of the most defining moments that I can think about from that from that stadium is the blocked field goal against Ohio State. When they block it, oh. I mean, that stadium just loses it. Didn't they run it back? Yeah, they ran it back to end up – I mean, they ended up obviously winning that game, and that was the year they went to the Big Ten Championship. But, I mean, that was just an absolutely crazy atmosphere, crazy moment and crazy – Stadium. Yeah, that was Trace McSorley. Yep. What it's year was that, fun. Rob? That was 2017. 2016. Okay. 2016. Was Saquon a freshman? Saquon was a freshman, yes. Yeah. Where was he from, Saquon Barkley? I think he was from Pennsylvania somewhere, if I'm okay. not mistaken. But I'm not 100% on that. I'm about to pull up the uh... – Mo Bamba, the Mo Bamba <laughs> Penn State to have it for later. He's actually from the Bronx, New York, so not from right. uh, not Pennsylvania. But, um, you know, I, I think it's one of – if it wasn't for number one, it would be the number one thing on our list. But uh, on to number one now, and if you haven't guessed it at this point, I think you can figure it out. It's uh, – the chance of rain is never uh, – they the sun finds its home in the western sky, and when they start playing calling Baton Rouge in that place, you've never heard a stadium get louder. It is the craziest thing in America, and it is the Death Valley. It's Tiger Stadium on the campus of Louisiana State University. That place gets loud. Well, when they've had two bottles of Captain Morgan, <laughs> what do you mean? That's all you mean since That's the game began, they've had two bottles of Captain Morgan. They finished the case off since about Tuesday. Rob, that place, I've never been so scared in my life. 1999, walking into a football game in my whole life. Well, that's probably because you got cussed out by a six-year-old walking in there. This is a funny story. I was an Ole Miss fan. 1999, me and my dad were walking into Tiger Stadium, Death Valley, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And this LSU fan got in my face and yelled, go to hell, Ole Miss. And my dad looked at her and said, ma'am, I think we're already there. <laughs> <laughs> I, and guess I, what? And you know what? 
I've actually had a good record in Baton Rouge. I am two and one. Yeah, I am too. I'm two and one in Baton Rouge. But that place, literally nothing compares to that stadium. Yeah, I still remember. So I was there in 2014 when we won. That was the first game. They broke the attendance. That was the first game that had over 100,000 at that stadium. And I remember we were up 17-3, and they returned – we fumbled it, and they returned it for a touchdown. I have never heard a st- – my ears hurt it was so loud. I've never heard a stadium that loud in my life. And yeah. then about three minutes later, I've never heard a stadium go from so loud to so deathly quiet when Dak Prescott runs up the middle – hits the hole, and, I mean, that place just – you could have heard a pin drop in that stadium. But without – tell you what, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, you know, like, I guess they know we played on defense, but all of a sudden you just hear – and the whole – like, literally 100,000 people just screaming at the same time. It's It's pretty unbelievable. Well, then on third downs, they do the student section. They do the hands thing where they're going. It looks like they're praising, and it's it's scary <laughs> watching that. The Cajuns are coming. The Cajuns are coming. <laughs> yeah, it's like I think Scott Van Pelt said it best. You know, I, I don't think when they, when they brush their teeth, I don't think they put water on the toothbrush. I think they put bourbon. But Saturday morning. Yeah, I, I I just uh it's it's one of it's the best atmosphere in college football. There's there's not even I, I don't know there's not a there's not a debate for another one. And if you go there one time, you will agree there's not a debate. If, if you want to argue, we'll just actually we won't buy you tickets, yeah, bowling, right? <laughs> Yeah, we'll buy you tickets. We'll let you go. And you will come out of that stadium. Number one, you need to wear white or wear LSU stuff and you'll be safe. And number two, you'll have a hearing problem coming out of that stadium because it's so loud. I think I think what we're kind of leading into show a um, a podcast this out of at a Tiger Stadium. No, because everybody needs to be able to hear us. But, <laughs> you know, just stay uh, – it's, it's the best atmosphere in college football, as I said. I, I just – you can't say enough about that atmosphere in that stadium. And as much as we, you know, poke fun at their fans and everything, they're, they are the most loyal fan base and the most passionate fan base in college football. But – For sure. And I think we'll uh, – Brian Kelly's direction. Yeah, I think Brian Kelly's got him going in the correct direction as well. But that will actually do it for tonight. We will talk to you again uh, Thursday night. The pod will drop Friday morning uh, reviewing game one of the NBA Finals. Al, you got a prediction for us for game one? I'm going to go uh, Denver Nuggets. I'm going to go Nuggets 105, 105, uh, uh, E93. Okay, 105-93 Nuggets. I'm going to go 108-99 Nuggets. So, we'll both go Nuggets. Okay. And, uh, hey, look, 
We'll see what happens, folks. The Heat have proven everybody wrong the entire season and the entire playoffs. So let's see if they got four more in them to prove people wrong. Have a great day. Have a great night. Whenever you're listening to us, see you again.